and <clears throat> here we go. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Changemakers webs. I'm sorry, podcast, Changemakers podcast. Uh, today, we are welcoming um, an amazing woman out on the West Coast in the USA, um, Chief Civility Officer of uh, and Master Juggler Legal Training Ninja, um, um, President of Trainstra. Um, Sajel Thacker. So Sajel, I'm so excited to welcome you today to our program, Changemakers, where we discuss how you and others can change your lives and have change in the lives of others. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I am humbled and excited to be here today. Um, so let's just jump right in, shall we? Um, in the middle of this pandemic, here we are in the fall of 2020, uh, we are all doing the best that we can and in our own respective, what I call genius zones. Um, and so I would love for you to share, Sajel, uh, a little bit with our listeners about yourself and a few insights into your professional journey. Sure. So right now, I, you know, I, I'm doing a lot on my plate, but I'm going to start with the first thing that comes to, I think, what's most dearest to my heart is, you know, I started a company and in 2017 called Train Extra. And it's really based around helping organizations create cultures of civility. And so just to give you a little bit of background, you know, I started practicing employment law in California since about 2003. And ever since I was licensed, I've been representing managers and leaders, litigating cases up until about eight years ago, specifically focusing in on harassment and discrimination. And as I was doing that, uh, several things became clear to me. One was that I realized that I'm more of a conflict resolution gal than a litigator. So I was conflicted because I'd be talking to leaders. And if I really felt that there was injustice or something should have been done differently, I found myself educating the leaders on what they should have done differently or how that situation could have been handled differently rather than let's just win the case. So, and then I felt that if the employee had been wronged, I wanted to try to do something I could to help them you know, to make up for the wrong. So I knew that that wasn't the right fit, but I love being a lawyer. And so I continued doing it. And what, what happened along the way is that I, I got to see organizations from a different lens. Aside from just the legal perspective, I was also doing a lot of workplace investigations. So I got to see organizations from the nuts and bolts perspective of how they were doing their business and where were they were spending their money and what they were focusing on. And in this process, I learned a lot about how things could be done differently to really help organizations. And from my perspective, it's really, we need to focus on the culture of the organization itself, which is made up of its people. And so um, when I had my son about eight years ago, I decided, you know, I really want to, well, first of all, I wanted to be at home with him and be a stay-at-home mom, but I had to work. So I, I was lucky enough to get some work along the way where I started doing a lot of 
teaching and training and realized, wow, I have a, I have a strong passion for training and it seemed to work because of the experience that I've gained throughout my career where I do a lot of storytelling in my trainings. And so using those stories to support what I was talking about and why I felt that really civility needs to be where the focus needs to be in organizations I just went for it. Then three years ago, I said, you know what? Something happened. You know, you hit a certain age and I'm not going to say my age, but it happened. And literally a week later, I gave my notice at, I was working at UCSF Medical Center as a senior complaint resolution officer there. And I said, you know what? It's now or never, just go for it. And so luckily, knock on wood, I'm still standing and I made it through the pandemic in one piece and I'm still here. So that's a little bit about what I'm doing right now, Kim, Kimberly. Uh, well, I, one of the, it's fascinating to me. I, I've worked with so many women lawyers over several decades. Um, you know, when they go into the practice of law, there's one perspective and then, you know, maybe I don't know, two to five years, you get your feet wet and kind of get a handle on what the situation is, what you know, what you don't know, what the reality is, which may be different than what law school taught you it would be. And then people pivot on. Um, And I love to see um, how women, lawyers in particular, but women professionals, how they take their genius zone and what they thought they were gonna do and they pivot and they still embrace their magnificence, but not as a practicing lawyer. Uh, Yeah, and I know so many women that have done that, you know, where they've taken a lot of the skills but utilized it outside of the law or very closely connected to it to really make a difference. You know, I mean, especially right now, I'm talking to so many, change makers, you know, that are out there, thought leaders that have legal backgrounds, but they're using it in different ways. And it's, it's just beautiful to see, you know, that we're, we're sort of creating our own path. Oh my gosh, you're singing my song now, <laughs> my friend, starting uh, my, the whole premise of change makers, as you know, is, you know, we help um, equip and empower women to create the careers of their dreams by charting their own course. Uh, which is really very intentional and um, a purpose-filled mission. So, but enough about me for now, but how can share with us, how has this journey in helping others a little bit differently than what you started out as um, in this way, how has it impacted you and your life? So let me go a little bit further back into my journey. I think that really sort of sets the stage for a lot of what I'm doing right now. So you know, Kimberly, as I, I grew up in a small suburb of Chicago called Elmwood Park. And my parents were immigrants from India that moved there, you know, they moved in to, into Chicago, not, ne- not in that town, but in Chicago in 1974. And then I was born here in this in Chicago. So, you know, we were the only when I started going into elementary school and up until high school, we were the only Indian family in this all Italian neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, we're talking, you know, late 70s, early 80s, in the mid, all the way up to mid 80s. So it was a different time. And um, but, you know, I went through a lot of bullying, a lot of harassment and discrimination as, a, as growing up. And, you know, it was close to home. I mean, people would ridicule me because of the color of my skin. Um, They would make fun of my parents' accents. 
my parents owned a convenience store that was right across from our elementary school where the kids would go in there and see my parents. And then, you know, they were different and they had the accent. They were the typical immigrant family, you know, um, so still barely spoke English uh, when we first moved here. So growing up and dealing with all of that, um, and as I got older, you know, I started acting out to defend myself. And there was a lot of like anger that I noticed was coming out in me. And I, I remembered one day when I came home, there was actually eggs teepeeing our house and there was toilet paper on our house. And, and it wasn't because of Halloween or anything like that. It was, it was, you know, uh, hateful. And, and at this point, I, I, I realized that, you know, I had, by this point, I had gotten suspended from school a couple of times, you know, I was fighting back and acting out and rebelling. And, and I remember just having this conversation in my head, you know, where it was like, I have, I'm going down a path right now and I have a decision to make, you know, if I continue going that way, I don't know where I'm going to end up. And I knew I didn't want that. So I made a choice that I wasn't going to let the bullying and harassment of that um, take me down a negative path that I was going to use that experience to help other people see, you know, because these were kids at the time, you know, and, and so look, you know, I don't, at the time I was upset by it, but when I look back on it now, I don't blame those kids. I mean, they were upbringing of their own environments, of their family environments and, you know, and all of that other stuff. And so I made a decision back early, you know, eighth or ninth, when I was eight or nine, where I was like, I'm not going to be a hater. I'm not going to hate other people. That's not who naturally I was. And so I made a conscious, a deliberate effort to engage in different cultures, to learn about other cultures, to, you know, have friends of different cultures, consciously being more inclusive in what I was doing. So that was always sort of a fiber of me as, as I went through law school. I always had that social justice justice aspect that I knew I wanted to do something about. And so when I started employment law, you know, it was it was a beautiful marrying of the two because I, like I said, I, I focused in on cases specifically about discrimination and harassment, except the tables were turned. Now I was defending people that were accused of harassment and discrimination. So in the process, I had to do a lot of internal work to be able to make sure that I was fair and, and helping these folks um, and doing my, my job to best represent them. But like I said, you know, educating is really where my passion was. And this came clear over and over again throughout my career. And now I get to actually talk to people. So some of the training that I'm doing is a lot around civility in the workplace, um, because that's really what I think is, is a part of a huge, you know, you have to have a holistic solution about how you're going to um, create civility in the organizations. I do a couple different aspects of it. I work on the training piece primarily. That's what I'm doing the most of. But I also help with investigations and policies and counseling management on sound business practices, right? So I do some of those other elements as well. But, I, you know, another topic that I'm really doing a lot of talking and training on is tying back to my childhood is on this piece of unconscious bias and microaggressions, you know, and how that impacts us in the workplace, but just in life in general, because, you know, I mean, I couldn't believe it that, you know, they don't even focus on this at all. There wasn't a single class that I remembered in law school dealing with that topic, you know, and, and when I started to finally learn about it, 
I was like, this is an area that really needs more attention. People really need to understand that we all have these unconscious beliefs, but we need to do something about it and take accountability for our what our own lenses that we're seeing the world through and how that's not going to match up with everybody else. And so I just think it's such a blessing for me to be able to do the work that I'm doing to really help people, you know, learn how to unlearn some of these blind spots that they might have that are interfering with their decisions and their relationships in their lives. And so it's, it's something I'm obviously you can tell super passionate about. A little passionate there. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, um, you know, as, as you and I have discussed previously, I've worked in male-dominated professions um, all my career, and um, I, could pro- I could certainly fill a book of, of stories uh, where I have been, um, you know, even as a white female, um, at the receiving end of bullying. I would just say that would probably be the kindest word. Um, and likely, oh, definitely discrimination. Um, so, you know, this is just something, I mean, and, 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 you, and you talk with folks who maybe have come through the workplaces, um, say, you know, maybe they were halfway through in the 50s, or I'm sorry, in the 70s, and maybe they retired or in the, you know, the early 2000s. And so they went through their whole careers with um, the, the treatment and the abuse and the um, lack of civility um, to be normal place. I mean, I know in the legal services world, and I'm, I'm sure you at least saw it when you were inside private law firms, that um, it's not really the exception, but sometimes the rule and of, of being of the, the verbal abuse and the, mm-hmm. the unfair treatment of, I won't say just for women, but I mean, it seems like they have a special, um, you know, taste for um, mistreating women lawyers, some um, perceptions of uh, character strength or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it's lo- so, it makes my heart sing to hear you with such passion to bring about positive change in these types of environments that perhaps, you know, the folks like our daughters or our, you know, our, the younger generations maybe will not have to move through their work time, work um, journeys um, thinking that this is normal and accepted, which is really, I mean, I think about a bouncing ball or a um, sponge ball in a pool that, that, you know, men, for whatever reason, there's probably lots of, there's lots of speculation. They feel like they had to put other people down in order to feel positive about themselves or to assert their power and all kinds of, there's all kinds of psychological profiling that you, one could do about all that. But nonetheless, the, the damage is real. I mean, the, 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 you can't see it, but it's real. Um, so I love, I love that this is, you know, that this is your professional journey. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned employee empowerment. Um, so I'm just curious, what is your view on uh, what this looks like and how employees, particularly women professionals, can leverage their pl- power in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, look, I, a, a large part of sort of my training was, you know, look, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they came out with this report in 2016. And what they said was, look, the way that employers have been working on, you know, getting rid of the harassment, like what you talked about, you know, these behaviors that have become normalized over right. time, rather than having be- being dealt with, 
So there's, you know, all this stuff that's going on and employ a lot of organizations are paying a lot of money on training and other things to try to prevent it, but it was still continuing. And so EEOC, um, they came out with a report and they said, look, you're doing it wrong. You need to focus on training around general concepts of empowerment. I mean, not empowerment, sorry, civility as being sort of the focus rather than claim prevention or defense. And the second part of that goes to your question, which is that you have to do more of the bystander intervention training, meaning that employees need to be empowered to lead when it comes to maintaining civility or um, a culture of where people feel like they're training with dignity and respect. So empowerment is really about what I talk about is making employees be a part of the solution. So what do we all want when we go to work? We wanna be valued, we wanna be heard, we wanna know that our organization is giving us some freedom to make decisions about our workplace and that we can speak up about things if there's something going on that regardless of the intention of the person, you know, whether they intended to harm us or not, or whether it was coming from an unintentional place, maybe it was coming from a bias, an unconscious bias. Regardless of that, if it's violating one of our boundaries, then we should be empowered to be able to speak up about that and know what to do and say in those situations. The issue is in a lot of these organizations, they're not empowering their employees. In fact, it's almost the opposite. They're getting them to shut up by paying them off and saying, don't talk about it with anybody else, right? So we've seen some legal changes in that area that have said, no, you can't have employees not talk about certain issues. For example, if you've been sexually harassed, you can't tell women to shut up and we're going to give you some money. And now you can't ever talk about what the facts were. So meanwhile, the person that was doing it usually gets away with it, continues doing it. And then the women and or anybody who's in that situation isn't allowed to talk about it. So I, I go about it the ex- exact opposite is, look, you need to help your employees understand that they are empowered to lead, what that means and exactly what they do in those situations if they arise. And then when they do complain or they do bring it to the attention that you're going to handle it seriously. So let's make sure you've got your investigation team, your policies, all of this stuff in place so that You want women and men and whoever's in your organization to bring these concerns to you rather than go hire an attorney and then you pay a lot more later. Let's be proactive about it, right? So, sorry, that's how I kind of look at empowering employees. And I think as far as what what each one of us can do, I think we just really have to all be learn how to intervene. Because bystanders really should be the people that are addressing these situations. I mean, it'd be great. You know, a lot of us are resilient and some of us would speak up, but a lot of us won't because for a lot of different reasons, one, we fear retaliation or two, we were were afraid that nobody will believe us or they're going to judge us differently. You know, there's a hundred different reasons why people don't speak up. So therefore, the bystanders have to be the ones that are getting involved and then they they need to know what to say and how to respond, right? So every single person needs to be a part of the solution and there has to be trust, you know, within the organizations. And the only way that happens is if you empower your employees to be part of that solution. Yes, 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 and yes, I couldn't agree more. I, um, I, I pray that um, this work 
you know, just goes like a wildfire through organizations because um, it's so desperately needed. Um, it impacts, as you say, so many different aspects of employees' life, leadership life, and, and um, you know, uh, retention, um, recruitment. Um, it really, you can, I mean, I'm sure there's studies that show that you can put a dollar figure on when employees and your team is involved rather versus when they're not involved and encouraged um, if you see something to say something. Well, I mean, look, I could just throw off one statistic, you know, just that I, I tell everybody is like, look, do the work now. I mean, SHRM, which is the Society of Human Resource Managers, came out with a study where they said over five years, okay, and this is just one little piece of that pie that I'm going to tell you right now. They said just in, they looked at a number, a lot of different organizations over a span of five years, and they said that employee turnover caused by toxic cultures cost employers more than $223 billion over five years. That's just talking about just employee turnover. That's not even addressing the morale issues, whether productivity is where it should be or not, the bottom line, all of that. And I'm talking 223 billion. So that's just, you know, that just gives you an idea of really why the focus has to be proactive and why you really want to be addressing. I mean, you know, I, I say this is, you know, I have a huge passion just because of what I've gone through in my life and, and what I've seen as an attorney and a, an investigator, but just by observing people and learning to watch people throughout my life, because I've had to assimilate, you know, it's like I, at home, I was like, okay, now I have to be, I have to put on the Indian outfit and behave like I'm, I'm from India and fall into those culture, culture and traditions. And then on the outside, I'm American and I'm living, you know, sort of this marginal life. And, but having done that work, I'll tell you, when we look at workplace incivility, it's, it's all, it can be really addressed by, we cannot allow these behaviors to become normalized. We cannot, it, it, we have to start proactively addressing them when it gets to the, if you're talking about intentional behaviors, you know, rude or unprofessional. We're talking about, we need people to say, you know, hey, you know, when you didn't say hello to me, when I said hello to you, that made me feel uncomfortable, you know, and be able to have that conversation rather than letting it fester and fester and fester. And then it's going to come out like, a couple of years later over the wrong thing. So really just learning how to communicate with each other when something is happening and then knowing that we're, we can have this conversation without being retaliated against, right? And so that's a huge part of it, but also from the unintentional side, you know, employees need to know like, okay, if somebody engages in a microaggression with somebody else, what do I say? How do I intervene? And a lot of times, you know, people that are engaging in the microaggressions, it's, it comes from an unintentional place. So they don't even know that they're doing it. Right. So until you, you point out the behavior and you put both of those people on notice in a sort of a calm, professional way without judgment, it's not about canceling anybody, but just putting them on notice that, hey, this behavior that you just did, whether you said something or you did something, is it's, it's making me feel this way. And I prefer you not do that or I, you know, and at least be able to go in and have a dialogue to understand what is the other person's perspective. And, and, and then we can start if the person then, if it really is coming from an unintentional place, most people, when you tell them, hey, you know, please like move back, you're standing too close to me. If it is really unintentional, they're going to stop, right? We're not trying to make each other miserable at work. So they're going to stop. But if it continues, 
Now the organization has to respond. And it's really going back to ground zero and starting over when it comes to setting the culture up and, and making those sort of um, here are zero, zero tolerance, but then everything else is, is a spectrum. And we want to address these issues before they turn into a, a lawsuit, right? So it really has to go to that extent. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm just curious, I wanted to talk about mindset for a minute because it is so crucial and critical in your work, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I'd be curious your viewpoint on what it means to you and your work and how critical it is for a fulfilling and prosperous uh, workplace experience um, and what, you know, what your clients, whether they're leaders or employees or how they can choose to frame their own life when things may not be looking so bright. Yeah, you know, I am, these days, I'll tell you, I am all about the growth mindset, you know, always looking to, I, I think the way I sort of talk about growth mindset is, you know, you're not, you're looking at how do I not just prove, I don't forget about proving who I am, but how do I improve who I am and looking for ways to learn other people's perspectives from a place of you know, authentic, being curious, and really wanting to understand other people. And, and how can this benefit us collectively, rather than individually on an individual level right now, I think, you know, it's important. And, and you know, as I was telling you earlier, when I talk to leaders, you know, I, I really, I tell them that you have to assess each situation on factual basis, you know, on an, an individual case by case basis, because, everybody is going through something different. But just as far as, you know, moving forward from where we are and wherever that is for everybody, I think you also need to meet people where they're at, you know? And I think a lot of people are saying, we want, you know, we want this done by an organization. And, you know, they put out this black box and now they haven't hired X amount of people. So they don't really mean it. And I'm like, that's those kinds of comments and, and behaviors, I don't think really help us. And it's not the mindset we want to have. I think it's more about what can we do, even if it's something small to move in, move the needle in that direction. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, mindset is everything, uh, regardless of <clears throat> if things are, you know, what I like to say sometimes, whether or not they're lollipops and rainbows or not. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. How we perceive and uh, respond to that. So this is so, so wonderful, Sejal. I, I, this is one of my most fun questions that I ask on our Changemakers podcast. And that is, it, you know, given where you are in your journey right now, and, and the rearview mirror is such a wonderful reflection um, of looking back and assessing. Uh, if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would that be? You know, I, I would say that when I was younger, when I think about sort of where my life was and how I behaved and reacted to certain situations, I mean, I thought I had it all figured out. You know, I knew I was going to be a lawyer from like around eight or nine years old. My dad said to my mom at dinner table that she's going to be an attorney. And so I had it all planned out. Law school was going to get through college. 
you know, get my bachelor, go to law school. And I did a lot of planning for that. I really threw myself into my education because of it was a good escape from what I was going through as far as the bullying and stuff goes. And so it was a good outlet for me. And, and I had this plan. And so I, I think that having a clear direction of sort of where I wanted to go was a good thing. But I know now, like I stayed in the law firm world way too much longer than I really wanted to. And I probably should have left a long time ago because I knew that I, what I wanted to do, my passion was something different than being in the law firm, but I stayed in it because that was the plan. And so I would tell my younger self that, look, plans can change. You know, it's good to be prepared. It's good to be motivated and have some goals, but, you know, sometimes you need to, you need to just stop stressing out and just really kind of go with your passion and, and enjoy the journey on the way. Right? Mm. Wow. That is so amazing. Um, that is such sage advice. Oh my God, that's wonderful. You know, one of the stories that I love, I don't know if you know Esther Abraham Hicks. I don't. Oh, well, we'll have to share that offline. But um, she is a tremendous spiritual teacher, life teacher. Um, and one of the teachings that I always keep front and center is being allow, being allowing yourself to let go of the oars of your life and get into the flow of your life mm. um, that there is a natural flow for all of us and stop fighting for something that really you shouldn't be a part of at any one time it can happen in at any part of our lives early mid late whatever um, but to always just be listening and so uh, what you said there with you know we all have a passion and we think we're going to go down one path until that path doesn't work so well for us anymore, but we keep fighting it. Um, but then just to really surrender, right? Let it go. Surrender to the natural flow of your life, which I think is just a beautiful um, analogy. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just add to what you just said, because it sparked something in me as you were talking, you know, it, I, what I've learned in, in my journey. And, and I, you know, I, I say, I say this jokingly and you're the first person I'm saying it to on a podcast. So, but I, I, I really truly believe that I've spent my whole life learning to this point and I'm unlearning now for the rest of it, you know, and just relearning different ways of doing things. And a lot of it really boils down to it for me is that I think we have a really hard time taking a leap of faith in ourselves. You know, we, we really do. We fight it, you know, and it's like, if you've ever achieved like anything in your life, you know, it's going to be hard and you need to take that big step. Um, and sometimes we're just not ready to take that big step because we don't believe in ourselves and our own abilities. And once, you know, starting my own business was actually never my plan because my parents owned their own businesses. Um, and so I knew what it meant and I knew how much work goes into it. And so, but it was the best decision I ever made because it was a leap of a huge step I took where I took a leap of faith in myself, you know, and, and I had no one else to count on for where I am, you know, as far as what am I doing, but I, I see that to people now. And I've actually started telling people like, you don't know the limit of what you can achieve until you take that leap of faith in yourself. Like everything else is going to come and go, you know, right. but keep focused and just invest in yourself. Well, one of the, that, that's exactly right. And it's so challenging for a lot of different reasons, but um, 
you know, I've always heard, I mean, I was not, I didn't, I had no aspirations to own a business or to be an entrepreneur. And I worked for other, you know, organizations um, for 23 years before, you know, making that step. And it wasn't really one made out of fear. I know a lot of people are, you know, are immobilized by fear, to which I say, everything that we want is on the other side of fear. So really, I think it comes down to courage and summoning the courage to believe in ourselves and, and enjoying the ride because it's very unpredictable. You don't know what's going to come next. I mean, you might have a, a sketch of a plan, but you know, that, that, and that goes to the point that I made earlier is being willing to go with the flow wherever that may take us. And that often comes with intentionality, but you know, that's another topic for another day. Um, but I, this is absolutely fascinating, such wonderful wisdom um, that you have, Sejal, and I'm so grateful. I wanted to offer if there's anything else that you would like to, to share with us. Yeah, no, I, I, I just think I really appreciate having this opportunity to be on here. And I, I think what I will add, and my final thought, I guess I would say is, look, you know, we've all had to overcome some pretty tough situations. A lot of us are going through some tough stuff right now. And I, I just want to leave some encouragement for people to kind of remember that these failures are, you know, temporary sort of setbacks and that you can take whatever pain or whatever you're going through and still keep a positive attitude during this time. Look for opportunities, surround yourself with people that are positive and that can help you propel forward and try not to get stuck. You know, I mean, if you feel stuck, whether it's in your mind or physically, you know, take Take the small steps, you know, don't be afraid to take the steps, small steps, because if you think about just history, you know, there have been other times in history where people have gone through some stuff that I'm sure they felt like there's no way out of this, you know, and it, it'll just, it'll move as long as we all keep moving together. Yes. A business coach of mine has a wonderful saying that I say often to my clients and others, and that is, you cannot be in the state of fear when you are in the state of action. Mm. So, so we must all pray and move our feet. <laughs> that's right. I love that saying. I love that saying. And, and I can just tell you that's, that's been my, I I've been practicing gratitude yes. as that that's the one step that I always turn to when I don't know how far I can move or where I can go. I turn to that step and I say, that's my default. Start making a list. Just start counting. One, I'm grateful for this. Two, I'm grateful for this. And keep counting. Under no circumstances do you stop. Because at some point, whether you get to 30 or 50 or maybe even 100, the chemicals in your brain will start to change and you'll start feeling better. And so if you can't take any other steps, take that step and then you'll be able to figure it out. Absolutely. So um, uh, one of uh, my business coaches, and I use this in my business, the statement every day on the top of my journal is, I am so happy and grateful that, mm. and I, bam, bam, boom, 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 that I am here. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my eyes. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my family. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it does. There is a brain change when we stay in the state of gratitude. Um, so, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sejo. I want to, one last thing is to give our listeners um, a way to connect with you um, directly. 
um, and all of your uplifting wisdom and the services that you provide that every single organization could greatly benefit from. So I want to make sure that we make that connection. Sure. So there's two good ways. I would say, look, if you're on LinkedIn, that's the only social media platform I'm on. Connect with me or just follow me. I really, uh, you know, I say this in every podcast because it's important, is that I love to share information with people and good information. There's so much stuff out there right now. You don't know what's good for you, what's truthful or what's not. And I, if it's around the area of civility and unconscious bias, I look for this information so that I can share it. And so I'm always putting out tools and guidelines and other things that might be helpful resources. So LinkedIn. And then the other, other place you can go to is my website, which is www.trainextra, and that's T-R-A-I-N-X-T-R-A.com. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much, my friend, for joining us today. And to our audience, thank you for sticking around and listening to this scintillating conversation. Um, It's my prayer that it's been uplifting and engaging for you. And until next time, as I always say, it's never too early to be the change that you want to see in the world. Thank you and God bless.